This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. I was asked to speak to the subject of imuna, something which is very dear to me. And as since I have a strong interest and involvement in dating, I will now merge the two subjects, the two nos'im, the two subjects of emunah and dating. I'll give a little bit of shalom bias in there too. And perhaps we can walk away a lot more mischazek, a lot more strengthened and a lot more driven to be able to see the hand of Hashem in our lives. So I'd like to always start with a story written by Rivka Goldberg. Watching the waves froth against the shore and ripples back out to sea, Shmuel and his young wife stood at the deck. This is a young couple in the Shanari Shona. They just got married and getting ready to get on a ship in England. They had come full two hours early. They wanted to admire this gorgeous ship. As they drew closer to each other, walking the length of this magnificent vessel, they were on the pier and they were walking the length and breadth of this magnificently large ship from the outside. <clears throat> Thinking and talking about their lives is about to unfold. All the gifts from their wedding and all the money that they had amassed and saved in the last few years were invested in this trip. They took whatever money they had and all the gifts that they got from their chasana and they poured it into this trip because they were about to now go to the United States and start a new life. A fabulous voyage to a, and a life to a new country. This is what awaited them. And now a little bit of background about the ship. The cruise liner's interior consisted of three levels. Various degrees of luxury. Tiffany lamps were placed at into a tasteful intervals, walls lined with the highest quality tapestries, and an Olympic swimming pool were only a few of the numerous creature comforts on board. If you had money and you can spend money, you would live in a life of luxury on this boat. A beautiful staircase with elaborately designed gold handles led to the stateroom. Turkish baths separated with wooden partitions were located not far from a gorgeous a la carte restaurant where the tables were draped in perfect white tablecloths and surrounded by plush gold-colored chairs. Would you have it any other way? The couple went into the terminal. Finally, it's time to pass through security and to pass through customs and get on this ship. Fagi, the lovely, lovely young bride who now was about to separate from her family forever because they came from Romania, looked at her, Shmuel, her husband, and, be, and tears began to well in her eyes. It was the most difficult decision she had ever made. It's not easy to leave your family, especially to cross the Atlantic Ocean. You never know if you're going to see them again. This is not like today where we just board a plane and we're there in hours. All the relatives from both sides of the Hassan and Kala had lavished hugs and kisses on them, as well as advice and kosher food packages. After all, there was no kosher food on the ship. Now she looked up at her tall, square-shouldered husband, who seemed to know that he was doing the right thing. She straightened herself up. She's going to, she decided, I'm going to be a great wife who's going to provide my husband with support. A wife who'll stand straight and strong in any decision that he makes. Yes, I will be there at his side for a lifetime. Feige looked around and left the excitement as she looked, as she saw throngs of people now congregating in the pier. Closing her eyes, she let the lush rooms of the ship fill her mind. Ah, oh, this is going to be a magnificent trip. The thought of it made her want to dance. She had been dreaming of this trip for weeks. Now a little bit more background about the ship. The British sea craft or ship weighed 46,000 tons. This was its maiden voyage. The seas were smooth on this chilly spring day. 2,200 passengers had already boarded. 
Shmuel and Fagi passed all through all the customs and passport controls easily without an issue. And there were families lingering there. Tears, smiles, and laughter were plentiful as people were getting ready to embark. There was a little girl holding a huge lollipop. Others enjoying themselves. Suddenly Shmuel noticed the commotion. Listen to what happens. By the passport control. From afar, he sees a Jew, because he has a kippah on, attempting to argue with the officer at the customs control. Shmuel pushed his way through the throngs to see, can I do something to help? It was a young child of no more than 14, a lad. Shmuel asked, what's the problem? And he quickly realized that the boy doesn't even speak English. So he wasn't able to communicate with the customs officer. They exchange a few sentences in Yiddish. And he tells him in Yiddish, My parents sailed to America last year in November. Yossi, the young boy, explained to Shmuel, They've been saving money to send to me. Meanwhile, I've been living by my uncle, who passed away last week. And the house was sold, I have nowhere to go, I'm living on the streets. My uncle passed away. The shiva ended, and I want to go to be reunited with my parents. I desperately got to get on this ship to be reunited with my parents. But I don't know what to do. The guy won't accept my passport. Shmuel handed him a handkerchief while the boy was crying. Figgy stood quietly by. Now it's going on in the background. The engines are now cooking. They're starting. And the loudspeakers are saying, Okay, all aboard. Shmuel, she said, We got to get on the ship now, Figgy said. Can't you hear the whistle? You know, they blow up. One minute, please, he tells his young wife. We want Yossi to come with us, don't we? Shmuel turned, looked at Fagi and said, We can't leave him stranded behind. He's all alone. Where's he going to go? Yossi looked up at Shmuel with tremendous gratitude. He said, Yid, who cares for me, who's not going to leave me behind and abandon me. Otherwise, I have no way to go. Shmuel didn't notice. But the ship was not getting ready to leave. Fagi was uneasy, but remained quiet. By now, this huge area, which had held thousands of people, was completely empty. A final blast of the ship's horn. Outside the building, the ship raised anchor, began to go out to sea. Now imagine, they spent their entire fortune on tickets for this ship. Hands were held high from the top here, at top level, as people were saying goodbye to their friends and loved ones. Meanwhile, the officer is telling them, you can argue from today to tomorrow. I will not let this boy on this boat. The passport is not in order. It's not valid. Go back to London, to the embassy, and square this away. The customs officer was red-faced by now. And he just departed and went into some side room. With the three of them just standing there, in an empty hall, they saw the ship out in the horizon. And Figgy starts bursting into tears. All of our dreams! It's gone! We lost everything! It's all on the ship! Including all of our nechassim, all of our, whatever we owned, is on the bottom. Shmuel looked at his young bride with an eye of firmness and determination. Fagi, we were helping a fellow Jew in distress. That's all that's important in life. Everything Hashem does is good, and you must never forget that. He's teaching her first most important lesson in their young career of marriage. We have to help our friend to get a proper passport. And then we'll figure out what other ships are available. We don't need to travel with frills. Mitzvahs are the only ornaments we need in this world. 
It's an amazing amount of maturity for a young man. He looked at her brave young husband through tear-soaked eyelashes. Pride swelled in her heart. She was so blessed to have such a wonderful husband like Shmuel. The next day, from their hotel room in London, the young couple heard the news, screamed throughout the city, around the world. The ship was speeding too quickly to turn and smashed into the iceberg. Water began pouring into this vessel of 46,000 tons amongst all the screaming and hysteria. And so that night, April 14th, Sunday night, 1,500 people perished. 705, mostly women and children, survived the freezing North Atlantic Ocean raft and were put on life rafts where they reached a small little boat called the Carpathia that came to their rescue. The luxury liner, which sank within three hours of breaking into, was the Titanic. The young couple, Rivka Goldberg writes, were my grandparents, who made it to Canada and raised five beautiful children and 33 beautiful grandchildren. Thanks to my grandfather's desire to help a fellow Jew and his faith in Hashem, which is what the theme is that we're speaking about today, Emunah, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren are able to follow in his footsteps of chesed and Emunah, seeing the goodness and kindness in every situation and knowing what is important. Now, let's get a working description. What is Emunah? HaChinuch Katav, the Chinuch was a famous Rishon writes, Sheda HaAdam V'yitain Alibo, a person must instill this concept in his heart, Kol HaShayikralo Mitov Adra, Whatever happens to us in our life, whether good or bad, is orchestrated from Hashem. It doesn't make a difference if it's your brother, sister, or friend. Nothing can happen, nothing can happen unless it's willed by God. Therefore, when a person annoys you in life, when a person bothers you in life, when an individual causes you distress in life, you have to take it to heart. It's your sins that caused it, and God decreed it on you. That you should go through that experience. Don't ever entertain that I'm going to have my revenge from that person, from that girl who did the following to me. I'll go get her back. No, that's not Imuna. Right? That person who inflicted pain on you was simply the Hashem Shliach. David Amelech writes, when he was running away from Avshalom, because Avshalom wanted to usurp the throne and take over, become king, and David Amelech ran for his life. And who met him along the way? A person by the name of Shemib ben Gera, who happened to have also been his teacher. And he says, run away, you bloody murderer. And so one of David's generals says, you're going to let that dog talk to you this way? And David Amelech defines what Imuna is with his response. Hanichilo, leave him alone. Don't touch him. Because it's God that told him to curse me. Profound for a king who could have had his head chopped off in a second. No, leave him alone, David Melch says. He's not doing it. He was told by God to do so. And that's what we have to learn. That's the message we have to learn in our lives. When someone annoys us, bothers us, trips us up, does things to us, they're simply agents of Hashem. And what we're expected to do is what did I do? What sin did I do to cause that to happen to me? One of the areas that we see this very blatantly is Shalom Bayis. And that's where you're tested in the Munah. When a spouse does something to hurt, inflict, or cause pain, or make you angry. 
And you want to lash back. I see this all the time. I deal with couples all the time. And many of the people see and subject their pain onto the other one as if they're the cause. And if I just get out of this marriage and I get divorced, my problems will go away. They will not go away. If anything, you're trading six for half a dozen. Most of the time, what's waiting for you is a whole lot worse. So we have to understand that. That the man and the woman in a relationship are simply the makel, the stick of Hashem. They were told by Hashem to cause you pain. Your message is to shut your mouth, understand what's going on. Don't get angry, because all you're going to do now is going to have a lobby of attack, counter-attack, and there goes the marriage. Ask yourself, what did I do? How can we talk this out? What is it that I did that is causing Hashem to use my spouse as the agent to cause me discomfort? Hamamina Amiti, the true believer in God, doesn't have a bad wife or a bad husband. Right? Because they see the good in everything. And they realize there's no evil in this world. What seems to be evil is simply Hashem's way of adjusting me, correcting me, getting me a tikkun, a correction, so that I can get on the proper road of where I need to end up. We all have a journey in this world. And our mission is to get to the journey. And Hashem slowly coaches us to get into the right lane. Hagon Rav Shach Katab. Rav Shach, the Gadol Hador, wrote, Sometimes a person finds himself in trouble. Things are not looking good. And everything seems dark and foreboding in your life. And his insides, he's broken. He or she are walking around depressed, morose, sorrow. In addition to the troubles and afflictions that they're going through physically. Why is this happening? You're walking around depressed? Because life doesn't seem to be going your way. Because you don't have the kalim of imunat to process it. Which will tell you that it's okay. It's all the tovah. And one of the things I teach all of my clients and my students is when something difficult takes place, the first thing you do, thank you Hashem for the parking ticket. Thank you Hashem for the fight that I got with this one. Thank you that I lost my job. One of the things that Hashem wants you to do when you have something that happens that's uncomfortable is to accept it. The best way to accept it is to say thank you for it. Because you're telling him thank you, that means there's no evil in the world. If you're saying thank you, it's all good. What happens there and then, the judgment is arrested, and they make a signal up in Shemaim, she got the message, leave her alone. Release the pressure. That's how we have to respond. <coughs> now let's talk about Shaduchim and Nemunah. The most important thing <coughs> we must understand is that Hashem <coughs> sorry, has already chosen the person we will marry. We are not the ones <coughs> who decide who we're going to marry. That decision was made a long time ago by Hashem. When we were in our mother's womb. The Torah tells explicitly that when it comes to Shaduchim, when it comes when you're talking about Eliezer going to get a wife for Yitzchak. The matter has already come from Hashem. In the Gemara tells us, <coughs> we can see from the Torah and in the Vim and the Kesuvim, both all three portions of the Tanakh, <coughs> that a man and a woman are matched from God. Laban and Besuel replied and said, when they sat down to do the deal, that Rivka should leave and go with Eliezer to marry Yitzchak. And he said it to himself, this Rasha Merusha, this matter has come from Hashem. Who are we to fight that? So there's an absolute indication or affirmation that Shaduchim come from Hashem. And in Nevi'im as well. <coughs> when it came to the parents of Shimshon, and he wants Delilah, Delilah, 
His father and mother realized that it's all from Hashem. And Kesuvim as well. Shlomo HaMelech tells us in Mishlei, a house and money can come from an inheritance from your father, but an intelligent woman comes from Hashem. So we have now, we've established three specific evidence from the Tanakh, Torah, Nevim, Kesuvim, point clearly showing us that Hashem controls Shaduchim. So our attitude to the Shirech must be one of absolute emunah, realizing that Hashem is the matchmaker. <clears throat> Does anyone know what awaits him in the next few moments? There was a great rabbi in Prague called the Rionis and Abishitz. He was walking on the street one day, going to Shul to Davin. He was stopped by the king's carriage. The king poked his face out from the door and he says, My dear rabbi, where are you going? I don't know. Rabbi Onesen answered a very weird response. This infuriated the king. Because the king thought that the rabbi was concealing his true destination. The king immediately ordered the rabbi arrested and had him put in jail. Later on the king came to visit the rabbi Onesen in jail and asked him, Rabbi, why did you answer me? You don't know where you're going. Why wouldn't you tell me the truth? Well, the truth is, Rabbi Yonason said to the king, is, I didn't know where I was going. I wanted to go to shul, but I ended up in jail. You didn't ask me, where do you want to go? You asked me, where are you going? If you asked me, do I, where do I want to go? I would tell you, I would want to go to shul. So the point is, we don't know anything. Hashem plans, and man laughs, as we say. If we live with Imunah and allow Hashem to direct us, we're going to have a much easier life. Imunah is obviously the first mitzvah. I took you out of Egypt. It's the first and most important mitzvah of the 630 mitzvot. And so when it comes to marriage, a person can grow in Torah, and I see this often, and can learn in yeshiva, and accumulate knowledge and have zero when it comes to Imuna. Because it's dry knowledge. And he can handle with you in Gemara Mishnah. But he's petrified where's the, where his next meal is coming from. I've seen this. People are divorced. One is not to do with the other. If your Torah doesn't include Imuna in it, your Torah has no value. It will crumble. Without simple, deep Imuna, we can sometimes, we see how people can fulfill all the Torah requires of them. And are careful not to transgress the slightest violation. Yet when it comes to Amuna, they're so woefully deficient. Now, let's re- review. We have to live with the concept that there is nothing other than Hashem. That's number one. Number two, He alone rules over the entire world. Everything comes from His hands. It is He who has made, makes, and will make everything. Greatness, might, wealth, and honor, life, death, tranquility is all under His control. And as a result, we can now live with the degree of Menuchas and Nefesh that he's running the show. We need to approach a Shaduchim with the same Imunah that we approach all other mitzvahs. Always asking ourselves, what is it that God wants for me? And how can I fulfill the mitzvah in order to give God pleasure? Nachas Ruach. A Jew who takes this approach will find that all the mitzvahs that he does and he fulfills will be with tranquility. And he conducts himself with a spiritual awe. He's calm, he's tranquil. What is it that Hashem wants for me and how can I best serve him? Remember the f- most important statement in our life should be the objective of chokhmah, of knowledge, is to know that you don't know. That's the beginning of greatness. Especially, this is true, when it comes to shidduchim. We have to acknowledge the fact that Hashem is the one in charge, and He's arranging the best 
most suitable choice for us. If you start bringing your philosophies, your opinions, your biases into the equation, then you're going to be very frustrated. And you'll have a life of aggravation and frustration. Don't interfere and just let God handle matters. And you can live with your life partner with joy and tranquility. You know the famous story in the Madrash, where a noble woman comes over to Yosef bin Khalafta, and she says, how long did it take your God to create the world? And he answers her, it took six days. And from that time on until now, she asks him, the noble woman asks Rabbi Yosef bin Khalafta, what's your God up to? What's he doing? How does he keep busy? Is he on vacation in Miami Beach? What's he up to? So he answers her, our God makes matches. This wife of so-and-so will live and be wed to the... Well, the, girl, the daughter of so-and-so will be wed to the son of so-and-so. And so on and so on. So she answers, what's the big deal, Rabbi? I can do that also. How many servants and how many maidservants do I have? I'll match them all in no time. So she congregated them all in one huge assembly hall. 1,000 servants, male and female. She started matching. You go with him, you go with him, etc. Right? <clears throat> she lined them up, she matched them all. The next morning, they all came to her. This one with a broken arm, this one with a blue eye, a blue eye this one with uh, a broken leg, another one had a dislocated thigh. Each one in turn said, I don't want to marry him, I don't want to marry her. They had fights all night long. She sent for the rabbi, please have him come, I want to have an audience with Rabbi Yossi bin Khalafta, and told him, Dear rabbi, your Torah is true. Everything you said was right. It's God that has and controls matches. He said to her, didn't I tell you, matroness, that though it seems easy to God, making matches is as difficult as splitting the Red Sea. Because Hashem places singles together, and it's His mission. It's clearly evident that when people's approach to Shaduchim is with emuna Tanima, a simple level of faith, a wholehearted emuna, Hashem in turn deals with you the same way. It's like you have a relationship with Hashem that is like a shade. Hashem's right there, your shade. The closer you are to Him, so the bigger the, the bigger the shade. The Father also. So as a result, if you can approach life with the simplicity of emuna, wholehearted faith, God will do the same. On the other hand, <clears throat> if you make matters worse and complicated with all your investigations, and make things twisted, then you only make your life more complicated. As David HaMelech tells us in Tehillim, the man who is tamim, who is honest, who is straight, Hashem will be straight with him. Listen to the most amazing story. Agadol Hador, <clears throat> from before World War II, walked in unannounced to a yeshiva in Poland, seeking a husband for his daughter. No one knew that he was coming, no preparations were made. This is one of the Gadole Hador of Eastern Europe. And it was a typical routine day in yeshiva. He just started to stroll right in one day without giving any heads up notice. And there was some Bachram, you know, walking around in the hallways. The great rabbi entered the yeshiva, extended his hand to the first Bachar that came his way, and said, Shav Aleichem! And he began a nice conversation with the, with the boy. The boy recognized, wow, this is one of the Gedolei Hador, the greats of Am Yisrael. What an opportunity. It would take months to get an appointment to see him. Here he comes to me. And I felt so bad because the boy was wearing his weekday clothing. Had I known, I would have put in my Shabbos clothing for Gadol Hador. So the Gadol Hador asked the boy, what's your name? Tell me about your family. And he says to him in Yiddish, in Epis. Do you know how to learn a little bit? So the Bachar sheepishly responded, yeah, I know a little bit. 
So they walked into the library, and the tzaddik walks into the library and just randomly pulls off a mesechet pesachim, and he says, "Let's learn a little Gemara." And he opens to any stamp page, and they start learning a sugya called Rabbi Chanina Sagana Kohanim. Rabbi Chanina was the administrator to the Kohanim. It's considered to be one of the most difficult passages and sugyas in Shas. And the boy was brilliant in his ability to describe it, analyze it, and provide chedushim on the subject. The more they spoke, the more impressed the God was with the personality and character of this boy. The biggest surprise though came at the end of the conversation when the rabbi asked the astonished young man, would you like to be my son-in-law? The boy never thought about Shidduchim. <coughs> Sorry. The boy said, Surely I agree to be offered the daughter of the God of Hador. So the rabbi said, Fine. The Mrazah Hashem in the near future will be in touch and will proceed forward. The Rav left the room very happy. As the Rav made his way out of the yeshiva, he came across the Rosh yeshiva of the, of, the, of the school, who was waiting to greet him. He had found the word had circulated through the base measures. The God of Hador was in the building. The Rav explained that he had a daughter who was marriageable age, and he had come to choose a fine chassan for her. The Rosh Yeshiva responded, Rav, Rebbe, I have great stars, Eluyim in this Yeshiva. And he started enumerating some of the names. Unfortunately, the boy that he had learned with was not one of them. To everyone's astonishment, he told them how he had found favor in his eyes, and the Rosh Yeshiva said, that boy, he's an ordinary guy. I have boys much better than him much more intelligent, much more sophisticated. So the Rosh, so the, the God of Adol says to the Rosh Hashiva, I chose a random Gemara, and it opened up to one of the most complicated sugyas in Shas, and the Bachar had great knowledge and impressive lambdas. Why would you say that he's not one to the Bachar of the Yeshiva? Well, that's the truth. So the, Rosh, the, the God of Adol was not deterred. In this case... The Torah is talking to us. He tells the Rosh Hashiva, he proceeds to lecture him. This matter has come from Hashem. Just like Eliezer told Besuel and Lava when he came to Rivka. I entered not knowing who I was going to meet. The Tzaddik, the God of Adol said to the Rosh Hashiva. And Hashem sent me this specific Bachar. He had me choose the specific Mesechta. And had me learn with him a specific Sugya that the Bachar happens to know backwards and forwards. There is no better indication that this matter has come from Hashem. And so, they went on, and the shidduch proceeded. And so he tells us, it was arranged from heaven that the holy Rabbi Hanina, who was the portion of, the, of this Gemara, would come and support him on his behalf. There's so much to learn from this approach that the tzaddik undertook to find the shidduch for his daughter. It was filled with emunah and betachen, that Hashem would lead him in the proper way. When his daughter reached marriageable age, he simply came to the yeshiva to find a fine, good match. He didn't complicate matters. If, you, if I would tell you some of the stories that I have to hear, I had a girl sitting in front of me last week. From girl, 35 years old. I don't know what she's thinking. So I start proposing to her guys. No, this one, I would have to meet her in Manhattan. I don't do dates in Manhattan. This one, likes to learn Hasidic Shatayra. Not for me. This one, uh, Sephardic roots. Not for me. This one, has everything you want. Torah to me, but he has Israeli relatives. I don't do Israeli. I'm thinking to myself, Hashem Barach, the biological clock is ticking. What is she thinking? Dismissing guys at the wand of a hand, like that, like that. This is the kind of person who I think will never get married. Sad to say. There's no simplicity, there's no emuna. 
Make your, as I tell everyone, make a simple list of 10 qualities that you need to live with someone. Not wants. Wants are things like wealthy, impressive, tall, blue eyes, Porsche Carrera, has a condo in Miami Beach in the diamond or the blue, the green diamond. No, no, no. Those are wants. Needs is what you need. Make up a list of 10 things that you need. If you need help with that, I do this for people all day long. A need is has a Rebbe. A need is growing spiritually. A need is kind, considerate, honest, loyal, dependable, has a Parnassapath. These are needs. And when you go on a date, keep that index card with you as you ask your questions. And we have a concept in Torah, after the majority do we rule. Six out of ten, plus physical attraction, it's a go. That's how easy it is. I have seven children, the first three were girls. I told them three things, just look out for these three things in a boy. I wasn't fussy, and I could be. I went to NYU and Harvard. I could have asked for everything. I kept it simple. None of my son-in-laws ever went to college. Do you believe it? And they're all successful. One went to Hebron, major yeshiva in Israel. He's now a Rebbe and, and, and Kolel. The other one works very successful in the garment center. And the other one is doing also wholesale. No, but simple. Three things. Kaptan, Kapsan, Kasan. Does he have an anger problem? Because that's Gehenim. Is he cheap? Because that's Gehenim. And Kaptan. Does he have to have it his way? These are the three fundamental things you want to look for in a guy. Money? I didn't care if he had a penny. Money comes, money goes. It's nice if he has something in the bank, but so what? We see people up and down in life, up and down. You want midos. Midos. I just had a case the other day that squashed because the girl told me she was going out with a guy. Oh, he's everything that I want. Everything that I want. The kind of guy. She flies down to Miami to find out that he's been doing weed since he was 14. It's a religious part of his life. But he learns Torah. Right? And she discovered they had a bad anger issue. You've got to look for the real deep stuff when you're searching. Anyway, if you have any needs for that, you need any help, I'll be happy to help you. Just You can reach out to me. So anyway, this tzaddik's method was emunah betachem. That Hashem would lead him to the proper path. When his daughter turned to be a marriageable age, he simply came to the yeshiva to find a good match. He didn't try to turn over for weeks and for months with all types of investigations and scrutiny. Did he go visit the, Reb, the boy's Olive Bay's Rebbe to see, did you notice when he was four years old that he was going to be a, a child prodigy and going a genius? How many times do we see, if you do an analysis of the smartest person in the yearbook in high school, ask me, I'd like to see where they are today. It's never the person at the top, by the way, that goes all the way. It's people mostly in the middle. I see this for my class in medical school. The top ones hardly can get jobs. It was the people in the middle that did very successfully in practicing. So, and that's it. We have to go. We have to take a very simplistic approach to it. Let me close with two stories. One woman's Amuna. <clears throat> Esther was married for over five years and no kids. Living in Yerushalayim. One day she's walking in Malchay Israel in Geula. I'm sure you people are familiar with that street. Where she happens to spy a beautiful maternity dress in the window. But she, no kids for five years. She was thinking, hmm, such a beautiful dress. She happened to ask the sales lady, how much does it cost? It was on sale for a great price. She didn't need it. When she got home to her empty house and her long evening ahead and no kids, she couldn't forget about that dress. She turned around thinking about that dress. It started to haunt her. She decided, she had this feeling, I'm going to go buy that dress. You never know. So she went back to the very next day. She asked the sales lady, 
about that dress again. She says, I want it. I want to buy it. She says, oh, what are you expecting? I'm not expecting. You have any kids? None. Esther politely thanked her and smiled and walked out. The lady gave her a very heartfelt Sephardi-style brachas, and before she left the store, she felt great. She came home with the outfit, showed it to her husband, then wrapped it in a heavy plastic bag, put it in a far corner in the closet, and just chucked it there. Hashem has His ways of sending Yeshua's. And just a few months later, Esther was finally expecting. She was able to go back to the sales lady and let her know the good news, that she was expecting a baby boy. That's when the sales lady told her something amazing. When you bought that outfit and you told me your story, and then you were, and then a short time later you came back to tell me you were pregnant, I told many of my friends how someone came into my store and bought a maternity outfit, and soon after had a Yeshua. So what happened to Esther can make us start to think. There's a well-known story of a Rebbe who had two childless women in front of him. Each one received a bracha that in a year she'd have be holding a baby in her arms. A year passed. One of the ladies had a baby. The other one did not. The one who did not came crying back to the Rav and said to him, Rebbe, did you see what happened? You gave us both brachas. My friend Leah had a baby. I didn't have one. And the Rebbe answered her to the woman who didn't have kids. My dear young woman, did you see that right after I gave her the bracha, she went out and bought a baby carriage. She showed her imuna. That's deep imuna. The lady was so sure that the Rebbe's bracha was going to be true, that she went out and purchased something to show her faith in Hashem, and her faith in the bracha. And this is what the sales lady learned from Esther's behavior. She was willing to make the purchase of a maternity dress, and show Hashem that she was sure that He was going to answer her. And also, very important... She kept it quiet. You're dating? I tell all my clients, zip it. No one knows except your dating mentor and your mother. That's it. None of your friends. I'm sorry to those who have bosom buddy friends here. You understand? No one. By keeping it quiet, she left more avenues for the bracha to take place. Like Chazal tells us, a bracha is shuriya only when there's silence. It could be that this is the underlying... Minhag of why we tell young women, go buy a talis. Talis gadol. And that's a smula. By buying something new for your future chasen, you're showing both yourself and Hashem that you are sure that He'll answer you one day and you'll merit that the chasen should wear that. Let me close with a beautiful story called Hashem Knows Your Zip Code. About a woman named Barbara Bennett who had gone to Nevei Yerushalayim to study for two years. And she had come from a secular home and a secular lifestyle to a boss Torah in training. She came back to, from Israel. Now the question arose, what should I do with my life? I spent two years in seminary. Although she preferred to stay in Chicago, but she knew that everyone moves to New York for Shaduchim or places like that. I decided to stay in Chicago. After I spoke with my Rav, he hit me with the famous line. He smiled and he said, Barbara, Hashem knows your zip code. So I decided to stay and I, and I got a job working for an organization that was involved in Kiruv and I was responsible for publishing their newsletter. However, when I turned 27, it started catching up with me. Many, if not most of my friends were married and I was beginning to feel left behind. Soon it seemed like all the opportunities were drying up in Chicago. It was time to go visit my Rav once more. To my surprise, the Rav's answer was the same. Barbara, Hashem knows your zip code. I understood that my Rav was trying to instill within me the idea that Hashem is the ultimate matchmaker. 
and I need to learn to believe that. Maybe not necessarily move to Israel or New York. I had to admit that it was becoming more difficult to accept my situation as a single and a lonely adult. What's wrong with me, I asked. Why is everyone else getting married and not me? I panicked and began a soul-searching process. I started consulting with my friends in Israel. But I kept repeating to myself what the rabbi told me. Hashem knows your zip code. Everything was going great in my life, except Shaduchim. I was prospering at work. Another year of singlehood came and went, and I was presented with a unique opportunity to fly for the organization to do some business on their behalf in the Far East. Grabbing my chance, I finagled a trip to Israel. I would be able to stop in Israel and see my friends. And my Rav set, up, set me up with a young man over there. The night before I went out with my friend as a parting Sauda to have dinner with her, I was brutally honest with her, expressing to her how burnt out I had become, how pessimistic I had become about the whole Shaduchim process. I thought to myself, Hashem knows my zip code, right? Well, let's see. Less than 24 hours later, I boarded the British Airways flight to Israel and the Far East, where I'd be spending a week before traveling on to Singapore and then Sydney, Australia. To my surprise, I was upgraded to first class and found myself in travel accommodations that I had never experienced in my life. The luxury, the incredible luxury of being first class for such a long trip. Then a few hours into it, I discovered that my seat reclines all the way. I can't believe this. Hashem is sending me on a first class trip to it throughout the world. What extraordinary luck. And then the tears came. Wait a minute, I said to myself, Barbara, Hashem can send me on a trip around the world, but He can't manage to send me my zivug. I felt so ashamed for the way I'd spoken. I sat there in the dark of night on that memorable British Airways flight, experiencing intense feelings of emotion and connection. All the while repeating to myself that same concept, Hashem runs the world. He knows my zip code. Exactly three days later in Israel, my rabbi in Chicago set me up on a blind date with a young man that I had actually met once after I came back from seminary. Yitzchak. He had come on the scene, we had gone out once casually, but nothing had ever happened of it. Of course, I got in my expectations burnt too many times, so I didn't let my hopes get too raised. But I said, I'll meet him again. Little did I realize, or did I ever know that I was going to end up spending a lot of time with this young man. We dined, we strolled, we laughed, we shared. I couldn't believe how complimentary he was, how deep he was, how interesting he was, how witty he was. How special he was. And then there we were on the 10th date in a beautiful park in the outskirts of Tel Aviv. After a beautiful, wonderful picnic lunch, we saw a little lake with rowboats. And we hopped on. After a while, Yitzhak pulled off to the side of the lake, parked under a shady tree. He whipped out a little piece of paper. I was asking myself, what could he possibly have on that paper? He told me to close my eyes and then he proceeded to sing a beautiful song that he had written, that he had custom written for the occasion. At the conclusion of his musical performance, I opened my eyes and asked him, is this really happening? I cannot believe this happened. You know, when you've been married in the muck for so long, sometimes chas v'shalom, you think there's no hope. You can't lose your imunah. Very soon after that memorable afternoon in Tel Aviv, it was time to go back to Chicago. Fortunately, Yitzchak was right behind me, following me back to the Windy City to finish the job. On Arab Shabbos, the day after Tisha B'Av, 
Yitzchak proposed on the balcony of a high-rise overlooking the Chicago skyline. It was at that moment that it dawned on me. Hashem really knew my zip code. It wouldn't be ironic, but it turns out that Yitzchak's mother works for, works for the United States Postal Service. Hashem knows our zip code. Thank you so much for having me here today. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.